Hey guys, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are so happy you are here and to help you on your path to getting into and through PA school. Before we get to today's episode, we want to let you know about some awesome things that are coming up. First, we are doing a two-day personal statement challenge to help you start creating an excellent personal statement that will wow the programs you are applying to and significantly increase your chances of landing an interview. It's completely free and you can sign up in the show notes. It will be on March 23rd and 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, so mark your calendars, sign up, and get in so you know exactly what you're going to write about in your personal statement to catch the attention of PA programs. Next, we have some amazing things coming up in our Pacers membership. Besides our intensives and coaching sessions to make a specific part of your application more competitive, we have tons of PA virtual shadowing hours coming up in all kinds of specialties. We designed this membership so that you can immediately become a more competitive candidate through weekly virtual shadowing hours, coaching sessions with us, and a membership to add to your CASPA app. So get in. Don't miss a single PA shadowing hour coaching session. Check it out in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. So today we're talking about something a little bit different. Today we're going to talk about what happens after graduation. So how do you go from being a graduate of a PA school to an actually full-fledged working PA and things you have to do to keep your PA certification? So after graduation is when you officially graduate from your school, right? So when you walk across the stage at graduation ceremony, you don't actually get handed your real diploma because it does take a few days for all the paperwork and all that stuff. But it's usually about a week after graduation when your school will send your names to the NCCPA. So we'll tell them like, hey, this person graduated from an ARC accredited PA program. They are ready to sit for their boards. So you'll get an email when this happens and say, hey, you are able to register for your board exam. And so the board exam is called the PANTS or the Physician Assistant National Certifying Exam. So basically, in order to become a PAC, to be a certified PA, you have to pass this exam. So it doesn't matter what school you graduated from. It doesn't matter how well you did on there, into school testing, anything like that. You still have to pass the PANTS to become a certified PA. Once you get this notice that you can register for the PANTS, you need to go ahead and register. And when you register really depends on you. Some students, they'll register right away and go ahead and take it right away. Some other students might say, hey, give me three months. I want to study for it, etc. So it really depends on you. But your university should help you figure out if they think like, hey, you need a little bit more study time or you can go ahead and take it. And we base this off of things like PACRAT, some of the exam evaluation results, that type of thing. And so if you're unsure if you should take it right away, you can go ahead and reach out to your school because a lot of times they can really help you with, with how to devise a study plan and if they think you're ready to take it or if they recommend studying for a few more weeks. And it really is individual. So for me, I took mine like a week and a half after graduation. I felt like I knew a lot of things. I just went ahead and took it. Um, but again, some people took it three months after graduation. You have to realize though that you can't actually start working until you pass your pants and you get your state license, et cetera. So if you wait too long for this, you know, again, your loans are usually due about six months after you graduate. And so you really have to start thinking about, okay, then you have to wait for your state license, that type of thing. So keep that on the timeline. It's also important to note that when you register, there are only certain places where you can take this exam. So for me, for example, Nashville was the nearest big city that had a testing center that was certified to take this test. And so I actually had to go down to Nashville to take it. So I recommend whatever date you choose, you want to go ahead and book that date early because dates do close up. And so these testing centers, they don't just test for PAs, they test physicians, they test, you know, nurses, they test all these kind of certifying exams. And so they'll only have a certain number of slots because they only have a certain number of computers a day. And again, you want to get your slot. 
usually they have a morning and an afternoon slot, so like an 8 to 12 or a 12 to 4 type thing. Again, I really think brains are fresher in the morning, at least I know that's true for myself, and so I always make sure I get a morning slot because my brain gets really tired around 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and I just know that about myself, so I always make sure I get a morning slot whenever I do this testing, right? So once you do the testing, you also have to wait for the feedback results, and so what you'll do is you'll log into your NCCPA dashboard online and when the results are posted they'll say like hey yes yay you've passed the exam and then you will be NCCPA certified so that way you can write PA-C in the back of your name so that's the first thing you really need to worry about after graduation all right the second thing is then you need to get a state license right and your state license can be in whatever state that you want it to be for example if you graduate from Texas but want to work in New York that's fine you don't have to get a Texas license just because you graduated from a Texas school you can get any kind of state license you want now, what is required of a state license really, really is going to vary greatly by state. So some states are notoriously hard to get a state license in, just lots of trouble, lots of hoops you have to jump through, and some are a lot easier. Now, there is a fee for this as well, just like there's a fee for the board exam. So you need to make sure that you budget some money for these fees. Once you get your state license, then you're licensed in that state. So you can't actually see patients or work or be billed for insurance or anything until you get that state license. So start to work on that state license early. Some states are a little bit harder. Again, you actually already have to have a supervising physician before you can get a license. But a lot of states will actually let you get the license and look for a job. Now, it is important to remember that you don't have to wait for all this happen to actually look for a job. Yes, you have to wait for all this to happen to start working, but credentialing at hospitals and that type of thing can take a long time anyways. So we have a lot of students that actually in their last rotation or last few weeks of clinical year actually start interviewing for jobs, which is totally fine. Some students want to kind of study for the pants and wait until after that happens to interview for jobs. You know, everybody's in a different spot in life and they have different responsibilities. They have different finances and, and you know, different support systems, etc. So you got to figure out what's right for you, but you don't have to wait for this to happen. They're just going to have to realize that you're not going to be able to start working until you get your state license, etc. And so once you get your state license, well, then you need to worry about your DEA license. So your DEA license is a license that allows you to write prescriptions. And this is really, really going to vary from state to state. So there are some states that PA still cannot write controlled substances. So still cannot write narcotics. And there's some states like the state I live in where you can write for whatever you want. So you, you fill out this form saying that these are the things I'm going to write for, schedule drug-wise, and then you, know, you get it signed by your supervising physician and all these type of things. And they say, okay, you can write for these medications. So this really, again, varies state by state. Now, DEA is super, super expensive. It is very expensive to get your DEA license, and so I really recommend when you apply for jobs, you try and see if they'll, they will cover this as part of your professional development. So if they'll pay for your, your DEA license, since you need it to prescribe, it really, really help you out. Because as a new grad, especially if you're living on student loans and not working and trying to pass all your exams, getting your state license, etc., it can get really expensive really, really quick. So this is one thing to think about when you're accepting a new job, if you can negotiate and see if they'll pay for your DEA license. So, okay, you've graduated, you've passed your exam, you've got your state license, now you've got your DEA license. Now you have to realize that you have to keep these certifications up. So every two years, you have to pay a fee and you have to log in what we call continued medical education credits or CME credits, right? And so for PAs right now, you need 100 CME credits every two years in order to maintain your NCCPA certification. So you log these online, you pay your fee every two years, and I just paid mine. It was $180 at the time of this recording. So you pay your fee and then, you know, you keep this, this NCCPA renewal, right? So with these CMEs or these continuing medical education credits, they come in two different categories. We have category one, which are ones that have to be like submitted and reviewed and approved. So these are things like conferences. These are ACLS or BCLS renewals. All those things fall under category one. 
And in the two-year time frame, at least 50 of these hours have to be Category 1. So 50 out of your 100 hours have to be these pre-approved, be approved for credit, and their typical conferences or typical things like ACLS, etc. Right? Then the other 50 can be what we call Category 2. And so Category 2 are less formal. Category 2 are things like journal reading, up-to-date reading, that type of thing. And so at least 50 out of the 100 have to be Category 1. And the other 50 can be either more Category 1, Category 2, or a mix of Category 1 and Category 2. And you have to do this every two years because we know that the medical field really changes frequently and there's always new medications and there's new testing and there's just new diagnoses and there's things that happen so rapidly. So in order to stay kind of with the new advances in medicine, you do have to have these CME credits, okay? And these can get expensive as well. So again, when you're negotiating for your job, see if you can get what we call a CME allowance. So they allow you to have, you know, $2,000 every year towards your CMEs because it can get expensive for some of these CMEs. All right, and then we're still not done. So every two years too, you have to renew your state license. And so for a lot of states, all this is required is just saying, yes, I had the same supervising physician. Yes, it's at the same place. Nothing has changed. And then again, paying your fee. But you have to remember to renew this every two years. And that way you don't accidentally lose your license because that can be a big deal because then you're practicing without a license and you lose your credentials at your hospital or with insurances, anything like that. So it can be a big deal. So again, there's just lots of reminders and they do send you email reminders and, you know, try and get in touch with you as well. So just be really, really cognizant of the fact that like, I know what you Years my license is renewing and I know what years my NCCPA is and so just kind of keep that on track and your DEA also needs to be renewed so every few years you have to renew your DEA again this is really really expensive so again something you want to think about hey can I get some professional developed money for my job in order to renew my DEA and in order to renew your DEA to keep your DEA you have to have a certain type of CME credits so we talked about how we need 100 CME we need at least 50 category 1 and the rest can be choice well, every few years, you also need at least two controlled substances prescribing CME credit hours. So basically, if you're going to prescribe controlled substances, they want to make sure that you are aware of, you know, the new law changes, etc. of that. And so you have to have two hours of this DEA controlled substance prescribing workshop type thing. And so a lot of conferences will actually have this already built in. They'll say this conference is good for, you know, 58 CME hours, including, you know, a two hour prescribing workshop as needed, you know, for DEA compliance, that type of thing. So again, you, you have to think, okay, every few years, I need to make sure I get my DEA CMEs as well. All right. And then we're still not done, right? So every 10 years at the time of this recording is every 10 years, we have to renew our certification and we have to reboard. So meaning we have to take the exam again. And this exam now is called the PAN-RE. So the Physician Assistant National Recertifying Exam, right? So we recertify. So we take the pants to certify the first time. And then every time after that, we take the PAN-RE, which is very, very similar. And again, you can sign up for this. You have to pay a fee to take this. You have to pass. You sign up for a testing center date, just like you do with the pants. And then you look on your dashboard and see if you pass. So there's been some thoughts and maybe maybe not reboarding, right? And, and the thought behind this is like, okay, you know, do we need to reboard every 10 years? Is this the best way to assess knowledge, et cetera? And so right now, you know, we're still reboarding every 10 years. And when I graduated, it was every six years. So um, we have kind of moved that time frame. But a few years ago, before COVID, they started this pilot study in which instead of like students reboarding, they took these case studies and they went through these case studies and all these questions every, every quarter. And they had so many questions they had to do. And so Anyways, they're trying to, to do this pilot study to see if there's anything else that we can do besides reboarding that can help keep us up on medical knowledge and help assess our medical knowledge. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years because, to be honest, by the time you guys graduate, it 
you might not have to reboard. It might be something different. It might be some other way of compliant, more kind of a quarterly thing every single year for two years is what they're looking at. So well, I don't know if that's going to happen, but right now that's kind of on the radar for them to see. It is important to note that we all take the same exam. So for example, I work in a specialty. I worked in orthopedic surgery, but I still take general board exams. So I still take the family practice centered board exams. And that's why we're flexible and we're able to move from specialty to specialty because we reboard via family medicine boards or general boards, whatever you want to call them. And so no matter what specialty you work in, whether you work in family medicine or cardiothoracic surgery or ophthalmology or whatever, you all have to take the same exam. So it's really, really important to note that. So if you work in a specialty like I do, you probably need to prepare a little bit more than someone who works in family practice every day because there'll be things that you haven't seen since, you know, maybe PA school. So I hope this helped and I hope this kind of explained what happens after graduation and how to maintain your certification and things again are always changing and so it's really exciting to see what's going to happen in the future of our profession, what's going to happen for our reboarding and we'll keep you updated as we know more. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast, and we hope this episode helped you. We talked a lot about what to do after you graduate PA school, and another important part of that is the financial part post-graduation. From student loans and debt and salaries, there's a ton to take into consideration. To help you with this, check out our friends at Student Loan Advice. You will get a customized student loan plan and save hours of stress and research. Gain clarity about your financial future and start down the path to financial independence with student loan advice. Link in the show notes. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time.